Hey everyone, Patrick's podcast is on the way, but we did want to make an update. After we recorded today's episode, the Minneapolis police have announced that they've added additional charges for the police officer Derek Chauvin in the death of George Floyd. They've added more serious a more serious count of second-degree murder, and the three other officers on scene during his killing have now been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. All right, Patrick, a ton has developed in the past week. We are back for a Polini perspective. I'm excited about today's guest. But first of all, I want to know, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing? All is good. Doing you're, well. You're back, in, you're back in D.C.? I'm back in D.C. I was up in Maine. Um, Ike, I'm a Mainer, so uh, I was up there. And I do have to say, it's a little hard to adjust. You know, we were up there in like a house with a big yard. And now we're back to like a one-bedroom apartment. So Dan is currently, his office is like on the bed. It's it's a, a big change. Yeah, I have a friend, and forgive me if I say this wrong. Is it Banger, right? Well, I say Bangor, but most people Bangor. say Banger. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the tomato and the tomato. Anyway, I got a friend up there, and they just, they're by the water, and they just cannot stop talking about how beautiful it's pretty, it is. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I'm jealous. I'm sitting in my 700-square-foot apartment. I'm with you. Uh, anyway, so Patrick, we have a special guest today. One of your amazing journalists is here. Tell us about Ike. So, Ike, how are we doing? I'm loving life right now, you know, uh, sitting here right before my, uh, the morning meeting. And, uh, yeah, it's not bad, you know. After covering- so, like, how do you pronounce your exact – how do you say it exactly, your last name? Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. I've heard 37 different versions coming out. It's it's Ike Edgiachi. 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 Okay. Yeah, like Edgiachi. All right, Edgiachi, I like that. Edgiachi, Edgiachi. Well, it's kind of like Paulini, Polini, you know, it's all the same. Fra- yeah. Fraser's pretty easy. No, people say Fraser. It's it's horrible. Oh, they do? Yes. And I have to change the name of my podcast show. Hey, Fraser. People say, hey, Fraze. It's like, look, I'm not an alcoholic drink, you know? <laughs> anyway. Um, so, look, we got, Patrick, we have a ton to talk about. Obviously, you know, things, yeah. tensions so are I, high. Ike, Ike obviously, um, has been on, on the front lines of covering, you know, certainly the protests, which, you know, you know, became riots and, and looting and violence and all of that stuff. So we thought it would be a good idea to have Ike on and kind of take us through his perspective of covering it. Certainly from from what developed in Minnesota and, and, and obviously the tragic death of George Floyd to the Minnesota protests. And then obviously now has become, what, a 40, 50 state uh, city nationwide uh, movement uh, that has a lot of positive undertones, in my opinion, but also obviously has turned uh, violent and, and in some cases deadly. So uh, there's a lot of tragedy overall. So, so Ike, your first real night covering it in the – well, why don't you take us back to your thoughts on the whole George Floyd thing and then, and then obviously how you, you started covering it. I know Saturday was really the first major D.C. night uh, – that kind of took a took a turn for the worse. Well, you know, all these things always start off with the cell phone video, given today's time. So I remember I was actually in bed uh, before the protest started happening, actually a couple of days before this really started gaining national attention. And I remember looking on my cell phone and watching that video. And, you know, I'm a journalist, so I, I take myself out of situations to help cover, cover things you know, without any bias, but it's just so hard yeah. to see when you have a man who was detained already, you know, he had, he was already in handcuffs, 
And to see something like that for nine, what, eight or nine minutes to see a police officer, you know, we know what happened. It, 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 it was going to cause the national uproar that you're seeing right now. Now, going to the protests, initially, when these videos happen, you're really not sure how it's going to affect the national audience. We didn't, you know, uh, we've seen these videos before. We don't think, I don't think I've ever seen spill over into such a national audience that we had this time. So when I was told that I was going to cover the protests on Saturday, I didn't know what to expect. I went to the, the first thing I covered was that 200 or 300 car protests. Uh, initially, everyone, they did that because they were afraid of COVID. So, you know, you're going to get in your cars and you're going to drive throughout the entire city. It was peaceful. There were police officers making sure traffic wasn't, uh, in, uh, you know, getting in the way of them driving their cars. Um, at the same time, you have to understand, it wasn't one big protest. There were several groups protesting at different times. So as that was happening, another group that was started by Black Lives Matter formed and eventually ended up in front of the Lincoln, uh, in front of the Lincoln. That was also peaceful, you know. They were doing things such as sitting down and raising one fist in the air or, you know, saying hands up, don't shoot and blocking out intersections. Overly peaceful. It wasn't until the night where that's when we started to see people. And I spoke to so many people and they were saying so many people are coming in who aren't from our area. So many people were coming in who aren't from our area. We were getting reports of people coming in. Yeah. Who from our area. And it was those individuals that were doing the looting, that were doing all the damaging. I mean, I was there Saturday night. I had a live shot when an individual smashed a window and broke into one of the main buildings in downtown right next to me, live on air. So it was just it was, to see the dichotomy between the peaceful protests during the day and then having it turn violent at night. And seeing that happen night after night after night, mind you, it's died down since then. But that's been the story of these protests in our area, where it starts off peaceful. Maybe some individuals who may not be in the area or some individuals who feel like they want to be disrupted, they come in at night, and that's when we start to see the problem happen. Yeah, it's, I know. And and it's hard to know. And I, I mean, I want... I, and Patrick, I, I know you probably feel the same way, but we want you to talk about, too, you know, you have a perspective different from ours. As a black man, like, how do you, what do you think, what is your take, too? I know you have to be a journalist first, but also you have a perspective of someone of color. Do you feel like it's time that racism is a huge issue still in this country? What is your take, like, taking yourself out of it as a person? Well, here's my issue with that. To, to say that it's time to address racism Listen, obviously, for some individuals in our country, this may be an, uh, a new or a novel thing that they're starting to witness or experience for the first time. But I mean, just speaking with my own family and people who I've grown up with, black you know, individuals, this is something that they've been talking about since the day they were born. You know, whether it be police brutality, whether it be the criminal justice system not working or, you know, in their favor or, or what have you, this has been an issue for the black community for decades, dating back to obviously when this country was formed, right? You know, even to to uh, to slavery, to civil, to you know, to Jim Crow, you know what I'm saying, and to the redlining in the '80s, you know, to to three strikes and you're out in the '90s, you know, it's been something. Every decade, we've seen something, one or a, one instance or another, that forces the black community to come out and protest. And you know, George W. Bush, he said it himself. In yeah. Response to. Uh, George Floyd yesterday is that, you know, us as a people, and I'm paraphrasing here, but us as a people, we can only see ourselves in the true light if we listen to those 
who are hurting the most. I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, people are protesting in the streets. You know, there, there's something going on, and obviously, I'm in the protest now, and, and I'm trying to be objective. Obviously, yeah, you know, it's my job here, but you know, it, it's tough. And, and I'm going to tell you something that's really tough too, Sarah. Like, you know, I'm 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 in there. You know, I'm you know, let's be honest. You know, I'm I you know, I sit at home, I watch TV, I do my things. I'm a person just like everyone else. But when I'm in the field, you know, I have a job to do. Yeah, and. You know, I'd be remiss to say that it, it feels weird sometimes when I'm out there in the field and people are coming up to me and they're saying, you know, you're a black journalist. Didn't you just see that CNN journalist get arrested? You know, why are you not here fighting? You know, what are you doing here? I have to say, oh. like, I'm, 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 I'm a Fox 5 DC employee. I have a job to do, you know, I have to take myself out. But, you know, it's hard, like, though. It's, it's tough, you know, it's tough to really have to juggle that professionalism and what's going on inside, you know, but it's something that, you know, I struggle with, but so here, you know, I try my best here, here, to so, do it. So, Ike, here's the question that, you know, like Sarah said, it's hard, certainly very difficult for us to uh, put ourselves in, in your shoes. And, and clearly over my lifetime, I've seen the country and, and certainly worldwide as well, make a ton of progress. On, on minimizing or, or trying to at least, you know, uh, attack, you know, racist and racism and, and injustices that we've seen for years and years. Clearly, we're nowhere near where we need to be. So I guess the question is, what do you like? like and I said this in a conversation I had over the weekend, my, my kids who are 22, 25, I think they are the for the most part, the first generation that doesn't see color, that doesn't see see sexual orientation, you know, you know other prejudices, um, and you know, hopefully their their generation or their their kids' generation is really the might be the first that, for all intents purposes, eliminates it. I don't think it'll ever be eliminated. People will always have have bias, and there's some. I, I think there there'll always be individuals out there who, unfortunately, you know, are are racist. But what I think has gotten lost in this message is what what tangible steps can can this country, cities, individuals take? Like what like what is what does Black Lives Matter want to see? I mean, are there laws? Are there? Yes. Is it education? Is it training? Is it calling it out when you see it? Having more people step up and uh, and and helping others when they hear it or see it? You know. I, well, let's say that you know, I, I believe just from talking with some of the leaders from Black Lives Matter and things of the nature, and you know, this is obvious. You know, the ultimate goal of Black Lives Matter is to eradicate racism and to see just and you know justice and equality for all. I mean, isn't that the the, the what we're trying to see as Americans all together? Now, I, I will say this though, it's that's that's almost utopian. Obviously, like you said, there are always going to be racists. So I believe the next step right now, the tangible thing that we can do, it's easy. You know, it starts in our living room. You know, Patrick, you said it yourself, that you believe that your kids are, you know, and that generation is the first, maybe like you said, not to see color or the first to really understand the plagues of uh, black and that, you know, black people in this country. But what the first thing everyone can do right now, and it's the first thing that the leaders of Black Lives Matter say is to start with the conversation. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of the problem here is that this is just not talked about. 
you know, it needs to start with a conversation. And that conversation can't start with someone like me or, or anyone saying, you know, with, with a big finger and saying, you got to do this. No, no, no. It starts with someone like you, Sarah, or, you know, or you, Patrick, going home around the dinner table and having an honest conversation about things that may, you know, you may not understand or things that, you know, you see a little problematic and then invite, you know, other people to really, you know, really yeah. Roll that conversation and talk about it. The problem with, you know, what Black Lives Matter, the, the leaders in there have been saying so long is that, you know, we're just not being heard. You know, we, I mean, the Black Lives Matter leaders saying, you know, Black people in this country are just not being heard, you know, and it's hard. You know, right now you're seeing looting, you're seeing riots. That's people screaming. Saying, yeah, they're so, they're at a breaking point. Yeah. I, exactly. I think that's so, so I believe like, you know, obviously we, we, we can see legislation being passed, you know, as far as like, you know, maneuvers like the knee on the neck for police officers, stuff like that should be banned. Those are some of the legislation, you know, legislatively what they want to see happen. Certain police you know, reform, you know, well, I also I mean, from the police standpoint, you know, I have I have some very close family members in law enforcement. And when we first saw this video, I mean, to a person. It's irrefutable in terms of what um, you know he did to, to George Floyd, but it, it and maybe this it's almost to me as bad what the other officers did, which was nothing. For, so uh, you know, you talk about starting a conversation in your home. I I was more outraged, and I shouldn't say I was more outraged. I I was as outraged as them not doing anything. Because mm-hmm. that that's kind of like what we're talking about is, you know, you hear somebody say something or make a comment or treat somebody differently, and then you don't say anything. And well, then you're, you know, you're, you're part of that as well. And um, so, so, yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. And, and it's funny you say that too, because, you know, you know, part of what I'm saying is like, you know, having a conversation, you know, that same conversation could happen within the ranks of the police department. Yeah, right. Exactly. My exactly. best friend, I was in his wedding two years ago. You know, I was in his groom's party. He just became a police officer. He's a black man, black guy. Just became a police officer in January. You know, what a time to join the force. He's in New Jersey. So, you know, when when this happened, I texted him, you know, and I started seeing, you know, all the violence against cops. I'm like, I texted him, like, yo, my man. You know, watch out around there. You know, watch out. Make sure what you're doing. And he said to me, he's like, yo. And he said, you know, globally speaking, he's like, hey, listen, I joined the police force so I can make a difference within. Yeah. You know, it's the same reason why I became a journalist. Because I started seeing things happening in this field that I felt that needed another voice. You know, I've known this guy since college. You know, we've done all the things in the world together. And... It's funny to see him as a police officer was the last thing I've ever thought he would wow. do. But just have just knowing him, knowing the type of person he is, he literally became a police officer because of what we're seeing happen, because of the George Floyds. Yeah. Because he wanted to get into the police department and start having those conversations. And I'm telling you right now, I speak with I just spoke with him yesterday. That's exactly what he's doing. And he said yeah. even his partner, who was um who even said himself never really had a black friend, yeah. <laughs> but he's well, opened his eyes to his partner. I mean, that right in and of itself is changed. That's huge. Yeah, I, I also think uh, from a, just staying with the police uh, officers, you know, I think 
continuing education is lacking mm -hmm. in, in many fields, but certainly the law enforcement field. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, most of these, like your friend and most of these individuals do, you know, they, they protect and serve a lot of these communities that need it the most. And, you know, they're facing a lot of, a lot of different things on, and uh, you know, to do their job. So I'm sure it, I'm sure it wears on them as well. And I, I just think there's a lack of funding in a lot of these police departments for continuing, for continued education. I mean, you know, somebody to talk to, somebody to educate them on, 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 you know, some of the injustices that have occurred and continue to occur and certain policing methods. Um, the other thing I'll say, and then we can move on, you know, um, I also think a step that has to take place is um, when, when these police officers, they're signs. You know, we, we've seen in all of these instances, the, the officers who have done wrong, there were signs and no one acted. They were moved around. They, 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 uh, you know, they, they were justified. Um, and, you know, they, they maybe they moved from one, one district to another, um, you know, and that has to stop. They have to address these people, these, these, these officers that are acting out right away and either but get them off the force or, you know, like, where's the progressive discipline that's, that's happening? They okay, can't. Patrick, yeah, but I always say this, like there, there's, there, there should be a need for accountability. Yeah. You know right. I, mean? I mean, people, you're seeing a push to have a, you know, you saw this in New York city, uh, a push to have the disciplinary records of police officers shown to the people. I know there's pushback on that saying, listen, we shouldn't do that. You know, uh, police officers shouldn't have to do that. Well, here's my thing. It's a police officer's job to protect and serve the people, right? And let's be honest, the people pay the salaries of police yes, officers. Right. Taxes, what have you. Can you at least let the people have a receipt for what they bought? Yeah. <laughs> let them see exactly what police officers are doing what, and they should be able to have a say, or at least be able to know that there's a process involved that will make sure that these police officers who, through tax dollars, the people they're protecting are, are paying, Make sure that they know that hey, there's a police, there's a there's a police officer in my town who may have had a couple disciplinary measures in terms of you know use of force. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like that's something that you know the taxpayers are deserve you know should deserve to have. But, and I think it's in all aspects. I think it's in 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 the in the criminal justice system. I think it should be with teachers. I think there should be much more transparency on some of these jobs where you're teaching our children. Your, you know, whether it's the prosecuting side of things where, you know, a, a black male will get, you know, six years for the same offense that a white male gets, you know, probation. I mean, that it's systemic. And, and that's where I think you have to start. And, and I think it has improved, but it's not it's not where it, it needs to be. So I, I think we need t real tangible steps um, yes, conversation is important, but I also think it has to go to that next level. There well, don't you think, okay, guys, and, and I know that we didn't really put this like as something to talk about, but police unions are are a big issue. I mean, and I don't know how you guys feel, but, you know, at least in Minnesota, some of those police unions were actually selling pro-Trump shirts. And I don't care if it's Biden or Trump, but I mean, why is a police force politically aligned when they do work for the people? And, you well, know, Sarah, though, now you're getting into, you know, some some 
interesting areas. And I'm going to take it away from police forces for a second. You and I have talked about this. Teacher unions. Most teacher unions in every major city raise funds, charge dues, create political action committees, and in most cases elect democratic leadership. So then the heads of those police unions and the teachers associations can sit down with those same politicians they just elected that the taxpayers are paying for and negotiate sweetheart contracts for teachers, civil servants, pensions. So this isn't a Republican or Democratic thing. I think, and I've said this to you, Sarah, before, I think there needs to be third party arbitration yeah. on all of these negotiations. I think we need to have a, a nonpartisan committee negotiate, help negotiate teacher contracts, police union contracts. How does that happen, though, Patrick? Because it doesn't happen now. And what what I think we're seeing and bringing light to is police unions, whether it's black cops or white cops or Hispanic cops, any cop that kills a person, it is very, very hard to prosecute because the unions it, are super also, strong. And it's also higher to, you know, the, the old joke is in New York City, they have a call, what's called a rubber room for, for bad teachers. I mean, teachers that probably you know have done really bad things, they can't fire them. Yeah, but, it's, again, but how often do teachers kill people? You no, know no, what I mean? I'm You're not, talk- I'm, not compar- I'm just saying it's it's a systemic problem in in these public union. So, and I could speak to this too. I do believe there's a big difference between the union. Ike's part of a union, right? At Fox Five, these are private unions. Okay, we are discussing their issues, on-air talent issues, directly with them, with their leadership. And and we're a private organization, right? On the public side, the taxpayers aren't part of that, right? Negotiate. So whether it's a police union, a teacher's union, um, uh, you know, I mean, metro union workers, there needs to be a taxpayer-represented committee, whatever you want to call it in those rooms yeah in I those agree. negotiations and Any i think single that's... sector of this country that deals with the people there should be a representative for the people and whether that's a black lives matter representation right. when, when the chicago pd or the new york pd or the dc pd yeah. are going for a new contract or like there should be more dialogue yeah from, from I mean, like like i said the people paying the bills Right. I mean, let's just get back to what it's supposed to be a government for the people, by the people. Yeah. People. yeah. Let's start getting yeah. our people in there, you know? Like, that's really I, good. I, and I will say, though, I, I'm shocked that the other officers have not been charged yet. It's insane. <laughs> I don't. And no one, you know, and, and, you know, the unfortunate thing with the riots and the, so, some of those questions have now had to be delayed to ask. But I, I mean, we're talking, you know, this is gone on too long. I don't understand how those officers have not been charged. Well, I, I think it goes back to what you're saying with, you know, with how hard it is to levy a, a conviction rate or a conviction for a police officer. I mean, we saw it time and time again where police officers, you know, habitually step over lines and see no, no reprimand. You know, they don't have any jail time, no sentences, what have you. 
I will reserve my judgment and hope that the DA in Minnesota or, what, or whatever party is invested. Yeah, it's moved to the attorney general now. The attorney general. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ellison. Yeah. Right. They took it out. They took it out of the head in Pink County, which they should have. Yeah. But, 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 but I uh, hope that, you know, maybe they're taking their time with this because they're trying to get a, a rock solid. And listen, I think if we believe justice on one side, I, I, the, even these police officers deserve the full investigation, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, just like any other citizen would. Yeah. You know, you, but to me, you know, I mean, to me, what should have happened in this case in Minnesota, I think the mayor was slow to react in Minnesota. I think that officer should have been arrested that day, in essence, perp walked with handcuffs by other cops. So there was a visual of cops arresting a bad officer. I think he, they did do the right thing in firing them, but I, I, I think it was a little slow in terms of the narrative and, and how and when he was arrested. Um, you could have arrested him and then still investigated, but I think there needed to be a clear show that we're not gonna tolerate this um, and I'm not sure that was done right away or as quickly as it, it could have been done. And I think that's why we're seeing all this right. unrest because it's taking so long and people are mad. They're asking what's going on. Well, and it's the same with Breonna Taylor in, in Louisville. It's the same with Ahmaud Arbery. You know, with Ahmaud Arbery, right? If that video hadn't come out, he was murdered in February. But if that hadn't come out, you know, those two white guys never would have been arrested because they were former cops. You know, they were very well protected by the district attorney's office there. So it was like, I think, you know, what we're seeing. And it is, you know, I'll say this. I, I want to just go back because I, I think, you know, Patrick, I know every white family is st- not every, but a lot of white families are starting to have conversations about race. And isn't it about recognizing color and saying, look, obviously our parents never had a conversation with us like, oh, don't trust the cops. It's like, oh, if there's an issue, call the cops. You know, like you, you know, you automatically be- just know you'll be believed by police. So isn't it about to like doing the work within our own families of having these conversations about color? Like, and and not to say like, I I think it gets confused with, you know, I think white families are scared to have that conversation because it sounds like we're talking about black people, but it's just acknowledging the different conversations that you, your family has to have with you versus ours. Yeah, exactly. And, And that's the thing. It's just like, you know, when you, when you hear someone crying about something, listen, you know, well, the reason why uh, this is happening, I feel like, is because people haven't been listening. And now people are starting to talk. Uh, it's great to have those conversations. It's also important to listen at the same time, you know, practice active listening, obviously. But, you know, it's, it, it, it starts, obviously, with those conversations. And to say that, you know, like you said it before, you know, that, to pretend like you don't see color, you know, obviously there is color, you know, it might be a construct, you know, in our minds, that's a whole nother conversation, but in our society, you know, there's this delineation and we need to get rid of that delineation. You know what I mean? We need to really, you know, there's no caste system in America, but you know, you walk out in the streets and it feels that way, you know? And like, like for instance, look, look at Amy Cooper, you know, that incident in New York city. In Central yeah. Park. Right. You know I mean? how, how do you fix that? How do you fix what's going on inside somebody? Here's a man who was bird watching, what have you. The reason why he wanted that dog to be on a leash, you know, obviously the dog was going to go after birds. You know, listen, I, I, I think unfortunately there's going to always be an Amy Cooper here and there. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, so I don't, 
I don't know if that, like you said, I don't know if you could eradicate it completely. I, I do think though, um, you know, Frank, you know, Frank, I think she worked for Franklin Templeton insurance. Mm -hmm. They act quickly. They're out. I mean, think about this. They acted (laughs) more quickly than the Minnesota police department. Right. I mean, now, granted, she, she's, not, she's yeah. not represented by a union. She's a private citizen. And we could debate whether she should be fired from that incident in Central Park by herself. But, you know, listen, I think the reaction was swift to that, both socially and certainly from her company. It was quick. And Patrick, this goes back to what you were saying. I mean, you know, in essence, Franklin Templeton did have the people in these meetings, speaking, right? The court of public opinion, you know, Twitter reacted immediately, found out that she worked there. Franklin Templeton, oh, we're gonna lose some dollars. We gotta do something. Now we do have to be, we do have to be careful. And Sarah and I have talked about this before, mob mentality on Twitter, taking out people who don't deserve to be taken out. Now that's a completely separate issue. She she deserved it. Yeah, she did deserve to be fired. But but you you also, you know, you gotta be careful how, you know, this, you know, because there, there have been people where the, the Twitter mob is kind of run yeah. over and. Yeah, that, that's no, true. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. where, you know, things have just gotten wrong, obviously. But I also isn't think that, it's about you- organizations. And I'll say this. I think it's also about companies, organizations having, um, you know, leadership that ha- that, that has a diverse group of leaders right and who who can understand or at least try to talk to people who who make decisions um you know listen you know and again take the politics out of it but a lot of these cities have been in essence led by the same you know they've mostly been democratic cities um baltimore new york you know dc and so forth so you have to look at those leaders over the last 10, 20, 50, you know, 25 years, did they not do enough to try to, to, to at least stop this within their own ranks? So, uh, you know, I. Well, it's it's not going to be solved overnight, but I think I think someone like Amy Cooper is interesting. Right. Because I think there was something that, she, you know, she was outed as being like a liberal white woman. And to me, the curious thing is, why do white people feel like the instant something happens, they can call the police just because someone is black? You know, I think that's like what people are so outraged and why video is so important. And look, it's not easy. I mean, when I first heard the term white privilege like six years ago, it really stings because you're like, oh, what do you, you know, my parents had to work hard. That's what you initially think it's about. But I think for white people this time around, it's really beginning to go, okay, wait a second. It's truly about the color of our skin. We have to have these conversations that people don't want to have. And, you know, to your credit, Patrick, Fox 5's newsroom is very diverse, but a lot of companies aren't. You know, you still look around and you'll be in situations where it's like, how are there this many white people? Like that's that's you know, those are the types of things I think that Black Lives Matter are saying to white people. We have to stand up and go, OK, wait a second. We need a diversity team like, uh, you know, you well, got to bring that's in the criticism to, you know, and you know, bring it back to Colin Kaepernick for a second. You know, the NFL got a ton of criticism because, you know, at, at their at their coaching ranks and then they certainly the executive ranks and the NFL leadership ranks, you know, they were they were widely criticized for for their lack of 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 uh, 
diversity in, in, their, in, their, in their executive and leadership ranks. I mean, you know, I mean, you could look at it, you know, <laughs> how many GM, how many black GMs are there in the NFL? How many black executives, how many black owners, I, you know, and again, I'm not picking on the NFL. I'm just saying, you know, you know, maybe there was, there, maybe if they had, they would have understood what Colin was trying to do. And again, you know, I've said this and cause in full disclosure, I didn't think he should protest at work. That was my only criticism, uh, you know, the, the, the protesting, he, you know, in of itself, I agreed with. Uh, and certainly I've said publicly, I think he was blackballed. And clearly, certainly others did as well because he, um, he, I don't know what the money total was, but he got a huge settlement uh, from, from the NFL. So, but to the point is, I also think you have to have people in your ranks when people speak out and when people have concerns there's people who understand them or at least c can reach out to certain individuals and, and, and understand them and then make the appropriate decisions and understand that it is different in, in, you know, in a lot of instances. It is, it yeah. is, absolutely, and you're right. I feel like the, the Colin Kaepernick situation in the NFL would have been accepted wide, you know, more and, you know, more widely accepted. If you said, like, if we had black people in leadership in the NFL, like you said, GMs, owners, what have you. I mean, I personally feel like that's the reason why he doesn't, obviously doesn't have a job right now. Because right. the club, the club is too inclusive in the NFL. And a yeah. lot of, and like you said, not to pick on the NFL, but a lot of these major sports agencies, the club is just too inclusive. It's too male and it's too white. Let's yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. Oh my God, we could talk about this forever. There's so much to learn. So much to learn. Patrick, do you want to talk about President Trump's response? Um, you know, obviously, sure. Ike mentioned um, former President George W. Bush coming forward, former President Obama put out a layout of things to do forward, but it has been. Okay, so well, it's not. It hasn't been surprising to see Trump's reaction. But give us your thoughts on Trump's past couple of days. So I think, again, Sarah, we've, we've said this a hundred times. I think a lot of things can be true. I think the initial blaming of Trump was wrong and not because it's Trump, but, you know, listen, you know, we had a black president for eight years. You know, you had Ferguson, you had Baltimore, you had a lot of these situations occur over those eight years. You had the beer summit in, you know, right out of the gate in Obama's administration. I don't think a president deserves the blame when a bad cop, does something. The question is, what's the response? What's the narrative after that? And I think Trump has had several missteps. I think, um, you know, even though, you know, let, you know, I think one of his first things was, you know, looters turns to shooting or something. I can't remember the exact quote. But looting turns to when shooting. the looting starts, the shooting starts. That was like one yeah, of the big. When looting yeah. starts, okay. Whether he truly meant that if people are looting and violence, people are going to protect themselves or it's going to turn violent because that's what they claimed or they said that he meant after the fact. It's just not the right phrase at that time. You know, you, you need to be more uniting. Uh, so, you know, I think he gets blamed for a lot that he has you know, really shouldn't. But at the same time, when the situation does occur, does the president of the United States make it better or potentially make it worse? 
Okay. And that's where I think, you know, you're looking for a president to make things better. Now, a lot of people may debate what's better. You know, you know, there are people who want to put the hammer down, stop the riots, because at the end of the day, most of these riots are taking place in inner city, poorer communities. And then when, when the dust settles next week and all this stops, those communities that in essence have been ravaged by COVID, lack of businesses being open, and now throw this on top of it. Wait, but Patrick, where's that happening? Because we're seeing these riots are happening in pretty affluent areas like, you know, Beverly Hills, New York City. Uh, People are looting. Oh, I mean, L.A. I mean, but but keep in mind, you know, a lot of these store owners live in those communities. Right. I mean, it's, you know, and granted, some of the big box stuff got looted as well. But Rodman's across the street from D.C., it's been it's been in the neighborhood for 80 years. Right. They threw glass through the window. They took stuff out. Uh, I, you know, back to your question about Trump, I think the narrative needed to be more uniting, more, um, understanding versus some of the narrative that, that came out. Do you think, okay, I go ahead. Yeah. You know, Patrick, I, I agree with you. And I feel that when you see times like this, it's all about, you know, the message, you know, my, my thought about, and I'm just going to go back to the point of uh, the St. John's when President yep. Trump walked over uh, Lafayette Square to take that picture. I'm just going to use that one uh, moment as an example. You know, that was, a, that was in my mind, a, an inflection. If we all remember back to uh, 9-11, you know, and, and the sight of George W. Bush walking on that rubble and mm-hmm. giving that speech, that was a unifying moment. Yep. I mean, his approval rating was 86% at that point. You tell right. me what other president has an 86% approval rating. I mean, you know, whether you were red, blue, Democrat, what I have you, that moment you were an American and he made it very clear that that was a unifying moment. Uh, that moment at Lafayette Square, um, you know, and I was, you know, I was there, you know, Personally, my analysis that I feel like President Trump uh, leaned on his his television acumen. So yeah. if you watch the White House uh, Twitter, they released a video of that moment. And you, you see the, the pomp and circumstance, the fanfare on, you know, if you're looking at the Twitter on your phone, you think, wow, this is a, a great moment. We all know that in actuality, the way that pic- that video and that picture came to be was a little different. How could President Trump actually done that differently? Instead of maybe clearing a path and making your way for and using the St. John's, the backdrop for whatever he decided to do, why not instead say, you know what, let me go to St. John's, but instead, let me talk to some of the religious leaders to see what I can yeah. do. Let me talk to some of the Black Lives Matter. Yes. Let me talk to some or invite him inside the church, invite him in. Invite him inside the church to have a conversation. Yes, this guy would have been the leader of the world if he would have done that. But instead, it was something the complete opposite. Patrick, why (laughs) do you think this is what's scary and and, uh, predicting for November, right? I mean, why do you, like Ike said, it's so easy, right? Even if you don't (laughs) believe it, right? Even if you don't really believe it, it's easy to stage a moment. Like you said, invite Black Lives Matter, you know, representatives to come, have a moment. All of a sudden, you're uniting the country right yeah but uh, listen well, patrick I, I, why I, I do you think he's actively almost what like drumming up the racism in this country acting white supremacist like why do you think and, uh, and I, 
you're, you just made two statements that I don't know if he's doing or not doing. I'm just saying you're right. The narrative needed to be better. The leadership. And listen, there's nothing wrong with creating a, a photo op per se, but let's make it the right one. Like invite, you know, the two or three top Black Lives Matter folks into the church to have a normal conversation or invite them to the White House if you're afraid about security. I'm sure the Secret Service is worried about, you know, you know they're going to dictate on where you can meet and all that stuff. But yeah, y- you have to, you know, but the same thing goes for the other side of the aisle too. Like Biden comes out and says, you know, my first hundred days of the president, if I win, I'm, uh, we're going to eradicate institutional racism. Well, you know, here's a guy who's been in the Senate for 36 years, and he was the VP for a black president for eight. What did he do? So I, listen, I think we got to call bull on both sides because, listen, some of these cities are run by very liberal mayors, governors, state legislators. Everyone's to blame that enough has not been done on this issue. Everyone. This is a nationwide issue. Uh, but having said that, you want your president to be more unifying and listen. And like Ike said, start the conversation rather than, you know, add, add, to, add fuel to the fire for sure. So, so I agree with you 100%. Um, maybe you both can – do you want to add anything to that? Because I was also going to talk about, you know, obviously there's a lot of turmoil in New York City right now, especially between Governor Cuomo and uh, Mayor de Blasio. That seems to be a, a hot spot. I, did you want to add anything else about President Trump's response? Yeah, you know, it's, it's just, you know, time and time again, we see uh, President Trump presented with an opportunity to unify and just time and time again, we just see, you know, we see him miss the mark. You know, like like I said, you know, I, you whether you voted for him or not is besides the point. You know, President Trump is the all he's all of our president, you know, our president. You know, he he's the president for all of us. And I just think it's just, you know, it's a mistake to not realize that and to think that there are two factions in this country. That's a lot to say. I think it's a mistake. I, you know, and take it away from this issue. I, I've said it over and over again. I don't blame him for COVID. I don't blame him for my dad. But I think he had an opportunity with that crisis to, I mean, personally, I think he had an opportunity to solidify his his reelection. And and he would. They they were more concerned with the narrative that this disease was going to ravage some of our country than addressing it head on and 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 mitigating its effect on the country, both from a health perspective and an economic perspective. And I agree with Ike. I agree with Ike hundred percent. I think he missed the mark on that one. I think he. Did, it's interesting. Like I, I like the way you put that. There there there's been three or four situations where he could have solidified himself as the president for all. And, um, and it just, it hasn't worked out. Yeah. Um, having said that, I still don't know what's going to happen in November. I don't. <laughs> Your guess oh. is good as mine. <laughs> God. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and I said this over the weekend Please. to somebody. We can't take anymore. 2020 is the worst year ever. I think the country, I think the country wants 
Well, listen, certainly half the country wants Trump out for sure. I also think most of the country wants a transformational leader. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden is not that. He may be a nice guy. He may be at the right place at the right time for his third try at the presidency. And he may get it. But I was thinking about this over the weekend. We've talked about his VP pick. Yes. How better would you feel if you were a Democrat or maybe even a, not even a Democrat, you know, somebody other than the people who, you know, are the are, are for Trump. If Kamala Harris was the nominee during a crisis like this or you know, maybe somebody else. I just think, you know, I, I, I personally feel I think there should be a more transformational candidate that the, the country the can The mayor of Atlanta, Keisha, Keisha, uh, Keisha Buzz, there's his <laughs> new running mate. She <laughs> is phenomenal. Did you see her, yeah. Pat Patrick? I think she would be transformative. I think she's level-headed. I think we saw Fan her under pressure. Yeah. She'd Fantastic. be really good. I hope they're vetting I her. You, I told you about Val Demings too. Val Demings was another person I was going to say as well. And and I'll tell you right now with now I, I, the article I read about her over the weekend though apparently she's had some when she was uh, head of the Orlando Police Department there were a few officers who didn't get either kicked off the force or so I don't know how the, and certainly Amy Klobuchar now as VP. I think she's hurt by the fact that this was her county. She was the district attorney when, uh, you know, the officer's name came up several times for prosecution and, and not, there was no reaction. So, you know, I think this, um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't, I think the mayor of Atlanta is now on the list. She'd be I really would, good. Yeah. Uh, guys, what is your thoughts really quick on the management of New York city, which seems to be getting, you know, in every news outlet, a lot of attention. Um, I'll go first and then I'll let I, <laughs> I I've said to you a hundred times on this podcast. How many podcasts have I, we done? I know this is 102, oh. 103. Bill Since de Blasio, episode zero. The Bill de Blasio is the worst mayor in the history of every, <laughs> any American city. He's a total, he's a total fraud. He <laughs> is. And by the way, Cuomo's oh leadership, ha Cuomo's leadership hasn't been much better during this. You know, I, I think, I Why? think, Cuomo, I think, I think he's had more control. I mean, look, it's a strong move. I can see their dilemma. It is a strong move to move in military. You know, they want people to be able to express themselves. They don't want to make this powder keg any worse. So I think Cuomo is handling it pretty well. They're trying the to. Bla they, uh, the Blasio had an 11 o'clock curfew. The other day. Who puts in an 11 o'clock curfew? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. I mean, like, that, like, yeah. so, so I, sleeps. That's why. Yeah. How did that meeting go? Well, yeah, we, like we want to stop. We want to stop the looting and stuff in Manhattan. So let's put in eleven o'clock curfew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least Bowser. You know, seven o'clock. That was the right thing. I, I think uh, you know Mayor Bill De Blasio aligns himself with his constituents a little too much, a little more than he needs to. Uh, seeing the story about, you know, his uh, daughter being arrested because she was participating in the protests. Listen, that's fantastic to, you know, peaceful protest. It's fantastic to express your First Amendment rights. But, you know, it'd be, you know, let's be honest, you know, 
the, the daughter of a sitting mayor of New York City is a little different than yeah. your average CUNY student. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel like, you know, it sets an example, you know? And we've known um, the transgressions Mayor de Blasio has had with the police department and pretty much all the other He's not liked, you know, and he's not yeah. seen as a leader. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bash the guy. He has done some things that are good for New York City, you know, providing free college for New York City residents, things of that nature. There are, obviously, not every person, you know, people are going to do some good things when they're in office. But, I mean, the most important thing is that, you know, it appears that he, just like President Trump, is running the city for a certain cohort of people. Yeah. Or he's maybe he's leaning to, you know, a certain cohort of people instead of trying to address issues uh, on, a, on, a, on a wider basis for, for everyone. That's what I feel. So let me ask you a quick question, changing the subject real quick. Do you think, so let's get back to COVID for a second. Do, do you think, I, it, it seems weird to me now though. So once this, you know, once the protests die down, we're going to be back to not allowing restaurants to feed people. Like, and, like it, it just seems strange to me now. Like, uh, it was weird. I was having this conversation last night. Like, who just opened everything up? I mean, it's weird. I feel like no one's really talking the fact that there's every day thousands upon thousands of people are not social distancing in, in major cities across the I mean, the you country. had a thousand people in downtown Bethesda, like basically on top of each other, yet the restaurant can't open. Like, it's is, kind of. Which is why I said just open it up. I mean, it's, it's you know, Sarah, we're what do you think? economically right now and. It's just, it's a weird thing to say because obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, but this, 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 these protests have happened at the worst possible time. So you, you have these leaders of these cities and these states with the dilemma. It's like, all right, we can pretend like these protests are not happening and still go with our plan, or we can scrap the plan and figure out something else. Maybe start from zero or what have you, but that conversation needs to happen. Well, this- I agree. It's so fun. Okay, I think it's twofold. In a way, I actually think it's like the best worst time for this to happening be- happen because I think you have 40 million people unemployed. And I think really you're seeing people activated about the injustice in this country across all, you know, yeah. color. So I think that's been a result of COVID. Uh, the scary part of COVID is, I know, and I was thinking this yesterday when I was protesting. I don't know. Maybe we're in for a terrible second wave. I think I think they have to stick to the plan of what they've they've got for phasing these reopenings. I guess we're all going to see, right, how the, the protests went in three, four weeks if, if there's a huge spike. And it wouldn't shock me if there is um, – at least when I've been out and I, when you've been out, you it's a lot of younger people. Maybe that's a good thing. Or, or if there's not, that may change the way people react to opening things in the fall. Very true. Yeah, maybe I mean, they... Saw, Elizabeth Warren was there last night, you know, and, and her, her brother passed away in COVID, you know? So what's, wow. what's the message? You know, what's the message? You know, well, also, a, lot mask, that. a lot of people in Bethesda, a lot of people in Bethesda's protest had masks on. Excuse me? I was just saying a lot of people in the Bethesda protest did have masks on. 
Yeah. Oh, and, and the same thing in DC. Everyone had masks on. But I mean, when you're shoulder to shoulder with a thousand people, yeah, does that right. mask actually even matter? <laughs> I know. I, I doubt it because isn't it all about the droplets and we're all getting yeah. covered with each other's sweat droplets? But yeah, I, don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I think you know shit's going to change when Bethesda's out protesting. When everyone's, <laughs> you know, really, yeah. when everyone's left their three million dollar home and they're activated. Oh yeah. Right. Well, you know what? Some shit's going to change. Just like, it's going on. <laughs> <laughs> when little old Lily White Arlington is out here, you know, things are going to change. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, all right. Well, guys, what? How do we want to end it, uh, Patrick? Do you want to talk? Um, you know, MLB seems to be a mess now. They're considering fifty games. Um, for sports. Sports has kind of been pushed on the back burner for the past week, rightfully so. So I haven't kept up. What is there any sports news? Uh, the NFL said that all 32 teams can open up their training camps, but they have to be at their uh, main headquarters, which, which is interesting because like, for this example, we were talking about the Redskins, you know, their training facilities in Richmond. They built a nice facility in Richmond, which, you know, there's been articles after articles how Richmond gave them too much and hasn't made the money, but certainly now the Redskins are not going to head to Richmond for their for their summer camp. Uh, I think we'll we'll figure it out. I think the NFL players union is not as strong as the Major League Baseball players union. Speaking of unions, I I don't I'm not sure there's going to be a baseball season. I hope there is. I don't care if it's 50 games, 40 games. You know, I could tell I could have used the Nationals game over the last four or five days to watch. Uh, you know, it's the Premier League soccer, which you know I'm a big fan of, and I'm sure your your husband is. Uh, they're saying June 17th they're going to start up, um, and they've changed some rules with. Uh, so in soccer, you only get three subs. They've increased that to five because they're going to have a lot of games in a short window to try to finish the premier league and then move into some champions league stuff. And, and then they're going to really almost restart next year right away. Cause usually it starts in August. So I think it's just going to be a rolling, rolling season. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you too. NHL says they're going to do a 24 team playoff. We need sports in this country. I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but it does unite people. Um, I, listen, I think everyone is just from, from the pandemic to losing their jobs to the injustices that are going on. I mean, listen, COVID alone has been an injustice to the black community. More people on a percentage basis because and, and whether they're because they're service workers, access to health care is not there, insurance, what have you. It has disproportionately impacted black people. Then you know, others. So, you know, it, it's the whole thing is just from COVID to, 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 um, to people losing their jobs, to the frustrations, to the anxiety, to then the injustices that happened in Minnesota. Uh, you know, we, we could use some sports to get back to, and again, that doesn't mean ignore what's going on, but you know, a, a little respite from, from reality would, would be good right now. I really would. And I agree with you, Patrick. And I think the sports is going to be on a rolling basis. Whether MLB can come up with an agreement or not is above my pay grade. Yeah, who knows? I live down the street from Nats Park. I'm <laughs> waiting for the day for those gates to open. I'm going to be the first person there watching the game. But oh, God. it's going to be hard because, let's be honest, we're going to see players, you know, test positive. It's just inevitable. Yeah. You know? Great. Especially 
every sport. I mean, you're just you're you're, you're locking arms. You're sweating. It's it's inevitable. So the question is, when not if, but when that does happen, what's the protocol? You know, are we going to see? You know, by the time like let's say, uh, for instance, NBA starts up uh, and they go through their whole thing, are we going to get a finals where the only stars on the floor are? <laughs> yeah, are, right. You know. LeBron James. And maybe we'll be down. We'll be down to four and four, three on three. Yeah. <laughs> like um, the, the, Patrick, the last, the only okay, last thing yeah. I'll say is there's been there's been some development on the a college fall semester front. Okay, I've seen. It, it seems like most universities or many universities, I should say. Um, it, it looks like they're going to start opening classes up in the middle of August. Okay. And they're and they're going to go through uh, the week before Thanksgiving, and then they'll either finish the semester then, or they'll do a couple weeks online, and they won't go back until Feb, middle of Feb. Uh, you know, trying to avoid having all these kids at college with the flu season. You won't know symptoms. Everything will look the same. Uh, you know, kind of avoid the winter months where you may see a spike back up of, of uh, positives of, of, of COVID. So it seems like a pretty interesting plan and there's going to be a ton of protocols. I certainly not sure I'd want to start my semester, uh, you know, having to wear masks and gloves and all this stuff, but at least you're on campus. And uh, I mean, I look at college football, these players don't get paid. I mean, you're yeah. going to ask college football players to come back put themselves at risk. Um, yes. Anyway, Ike and Giachi, where do we find you on social media? Thank you for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. Seriously, Patrick and Sarah, it's fantastic. Find me at Ike Ajachi, at Ike Ajachi on Twitter. Same thing for Instagram, I'm right there. Okay, Patrick, I'm sure next week we're going to have a ton to talk about. Yeah, that was a good conversation. Thanks, Ike, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me.